And, and I'll tell you where, where I got this idea. Cause, cause I listened to, uh, my friend Brian Dochet has a podcast called, um, the everyday martial artist mm-hmm. and, and Ken Gullet was on it last time. And Ken's a big proponent. Like we are, he's like, I don't believe in woo woo. Uh, he's like, I'm not a huge, I don't really teach chi. He's like, I, I believe more in human, you know, functionality and human dynamics. That's what makes an internal art internal. I'm like, okay. But what's interesting too is I think it's Tai Chi basically keeping him alive. I'm not going to lie. Sure. sure. But it's the same with me and Bagua. So it is a di- dynamic movement practice as well as martial art. And it's dynamic in both, right? Especially if it's taught correctly. Sure. But what it's done done for me, and I've been a big proponent of this pretty much ever since I started it with you and started the show is how it's helped my lower back better than everything, anything. Mm. Um, It's opened up my uh, joints. The posture, my posture is better on an everyday basis, Mm -hmm. which helps my gait cycle. So it is actually healing and helping me. Mm -hmm. Where, where is the, where's the line of demarcation between mysticism and actually healing somebody. (laughs) And and that is such a huge personal topic. If you think about it, right. Yeah. Um, I I wonder sometimes if uh, the sugar pill that they give you, the placebo effect Mm -hmm. could be a part of it. I wonder that sometimes, but for the Bagua, at least, it takes at least a good hour practice. At least when I have a good two hours, that's, that's when I really get it. But it takes at least an. Um, I lost your, I lost your signal there. I think your video chip might have froze. Uh, take it off video. See if we can get the signal back. Oh, oh, there you are. Yeah. So, um, it, what you what you should do is turn mm-hmm. off the video. Turn off the video on here. Yeah. There you go. Okay. So you get the picture. You get me pirate. You get the pirate picture of me. That's the good one. <laughs> I got all my so weapons. You were, you were saying. I'm sorry. No, you're good. No, I was just saying that. You know, it takes at least a good hour practice for me in the Bagua to really open up the joints, get the synovial fluid moving, get the blood flow in places it's not used to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and I really reap the benefits if I've got an hour and a half or two hours. So I can't necessarily say that Bagua is a sugar pill for me because it does take focused Digilent work to get the effects of opening up the joints of the healing side of it. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing mystical or woo woo about that. It takes genuine work. And so I, I just, I wonder, you know, where that line is uh, of, you know, true health benefits, you know, of an internal practice versus I can float on a cloud, uh, back to Grand Lake 
anytime I want to from Longmont, you know, the mystical versus the practical. And, may, and maybe that's, maybe that's been a big criticism, not only of the Chinese martial arts mm-hmm. for, for health, but also their combat skills is where does mysticism and practicality, where does the line of demarcation come? Yeah, sure. And, you know, I, I don't think there's any straight, straightforward answer to that. I think mm-hmm. a lot of it is very uh, subjective. Mm. I, think it, I think it really depends on the individual and the practitioner. Now, here's an interesting thing uh, that I've been reading on lately. Uh, you mentioned the placebo effect earlier. And that, that idea of the placebo effect is really about, um, in some way, believing in the potential of something, right? Mm. So they didn't think that humans could run a six-minute mile sure. for a long time. It was like a barrier in people's minds until they did it. And it's, it's kind of similar, in a way, to this idea of the placebo effect, right? Because the placebo effect is... So you think that this thing is going to cure you, help you, help, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you're taking it for, at least in a medical sense. But really, it's just because you believe in it, that it works. And the same can be said about this idea of, you know, this like idea of a six minute mile. I believe they even run a four minute mile now, but. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, shave two full minutes off of the whole mile. That's amazing. Yeah. And and I think it's been less than a hundred years since that happened. I think I think it was before that. So, but you know, it, it was considered an impossible barrier, and yet somebody somewhere had to believe that they could do it, and then they trained for it, and then they did it. So, in that way, that's why I kind of say that a lot of this stuff is subjective. So, I, you know, in some ways, if you believe that your, you know, your internal practice, your chi practice or whatever it is, is going to help your martial arts, then it probably will. I think that there's a ceiling on it. You know, I think that there's, there is, um, I think there's a limitation and maybe that's just my limitation. Right. Maybe that's me not believing in the, in the four minute mile. Sure. Like, Oh, you can't do it. So, you know, maybe somebody out there couldn't really do it. They can be like, Oh, it's my chi and they're shooting chi balls and whatever. It's just, it seems like a lot, some maybe of the people who are, are proponents of that sort of thing. And then they get called out, tend to get flattened by somebody. Sure. Like legitimate not <laughs> yeah, or yeah even, or even i mean if you're talking about shu Dong, like shu Dong was never like a real professional mma guy i mean he's a sure he's just a guy you know but he's done real martial arts long enough to know that like when the rubber meets the road he believes in his skill and he knows what his maybe his limitations are and he knows what he can do whereas you know if you've got somebody who's who's pushing this idea of like, Oh, I'm going to hit you with my chi. Then, you know, they're they're If they, maybe if they, I don't know, maybe if they believed in it enough, then they could do it. Are we noticing because of this, not just with health, but with combat, maybe the pattern 
Because the Chinese martial arts, I think one thing that makes it so special might also be a curse to it. And that is, it can be very prescriptive. Like, like you can dial in multiple styles of Chinese martial arts to make your own methodology of what works for you, you know, um, the prescriptive path of teaching. And so what happens is there's no uniformity. There is no way to, you know, I'm not even saying really a belt system, but, you know, what makes up Wing Chun? Well, it's a principle-based method, and not everyone stuck around with Yip Man to get the whole system, and then they started teaching. So they might have <clears throat> Bruce Lee. Uh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but but, you, but you, it doesn't mean you're not going to be effective with it yeah, in, so combat, really. in combat or in teaching, mm-hmm. but you might you might not have the variety of understanding mm-hmm. of what, of what it is. Cause it, believe it or not to me, Wing Chun is a large, large system, at least from the perspective of the Wong Q lineage. We have multiple, multiple ways to use every hand in the system. And I'll give you a base level of it. I'll give you a base level of that understanding. So each of the first three forms are unarmed forms. Mm-hmm has a variation. It might not look exactly the same, but it has a variation of every hand in each of the three forms. So we're just talking formulaically. There are three different ways to use it, at least. And then, especially when you start getting into the wooden man, you start finding other variations of the hands. So Mm -hmm. we're looking at a minimum of four, a minimum four different ways that you should be able to use every single hand. And so, and then they they connect to each other. Oh my gosh, the multipliers are endless. And that's why you have to have principles to reel in the thousands and thousands and thousands of mutations that are possible. And so it's the same with Qigong. I mean, I, I can, I can think of at least 25 of them off the top of my head I don't practice all 25 of them, but that's just off the top of my head. And how many different variations of there are of the eight brocades? Mm-hmm. How, how many different variations of there are of uh, five animals frolic or the jam jongs or, you know, all these other different things. And so which one of them is correct? Is it the one that makes you feel good? It, it, it's, it, I don't know. It's just, it's a fascinating, that's what this is. You know, I guess that's why our show is called Kung Fu Conversations because we're not, we're not putting a pen in anything. We can't put a pen in on something and say, this topic is done. End of discussion. Yeah, sure. I, I just, I, I'm, I'm basically opening a floodgate of, again, getting you and I to talk about the concepts as well as, you know, hopefully our listeners do too, and asking themselves, okay, well, these work for me and these work for my class. Mm-hmm. Is that good enough? And and honestly, at least for me in my own training, that's good enough for me. Sure. Yeah. It, you know, what you were talking about earlier with, you know, maybe not completing the system, but being really competent. It brought to mind that story about the Shinyi master Guo Yunshin. Sure. And Guo Yunshin had initially only learned the five elements and he was really, really good at them, you know, and he, he supposedly invented the, you know, the short step Bung Chuan, you know, that when he was in jail, that whole story. And, you know, then he got out and he was thinking, you know, there were some 
there were some <laughs> some other stories in there about like how he went to jail and you know what kind of sure. person he was. Sure, but um, uh, you know, I, I think it was interesting because I believe he went to uh, Luchilan, which uh, was a uh, I think it was a senior brother of his under Lilano the sort yep. of founder of Hubei Shingi. And he went to him and he kept trying to use his peach one on him, but Rinaldo had finished the system. And so he had the 12 animals and he had two men sets and he had all these other things. And he, he pretty much shut him down. And sure. Yun Shin was like, Whoa, how the hell did that happen? And he didn't finish you know, the system, bro. <laughs> he, didn't, yeah, he, didn't, he didn't finish the system. And he did. So he didn't have that perspective. He didn't have those. He didn't, it was kind of like, he didn't know what he didn't know until, mm. it, until it was shown to him. And to take it back to the, that last point that you made, which was, you know, about like being comfortable in your system. I think that uh, a lot of people who get involved with a lot of systems, they get to a certain level of competency and they get used to practicing in a certain way. And they get used to approaching the material, whatever it is, whatever system, whatever style, in a certain way. And then that's what they do. That's, sure. that's, that's, that's where they're at. So, you know, if in the beginning you have somebody like, uh, you know, when I was at the, when I was studying Shaolin, uh, I was, you know, it was really kind of a repetition-based system. It okay. was like, oh, just keep doing these pieces, these forms, and we'll keep giving you pointers. And, you know, the more you do them, the better you're going to get. And my experience with that, both in, you know, internal martial arts and Shaolin, some art based martial arts was that there's kind of a, there's kind of a ceiling on that, that you're only going to get so good after, you know, just practicing in a, in a repetition, in a repetitious way, you have to find other ways to train. And my, in my experience, teaching and being a practitioner, a lot of that for me and my students has been to, instead of having a quantitative approach to training, to have a qualitative approach to training. And it's a, it, to me, it's a, it's a very different mindset. And it's a big change, I think, for a student to go from practicing, you know, because I'll I, I have students in class and, uh, you know, I'll be like, hey, you know, how did your training go this week? And they'll say, it was great. You know, I practiced like, you know, for two hours and then I practiced, you know, a million repetitions and I practiced this, this, this. And it's like, okay, that's awesome. But try practicing this way, try slowing it down, try doing, taking the same amount of time and practicing 10 repetitions instead of a hundred repetitions. Sure. But sure. The, the problem is, is people kind of get, we kind of like to do the things we like to do and we get, yeah. and we get kind of stuck in our way of trading. And I think hmm. that puts a ceiling on our development. That's sort of the moral to this whole aside that we've taken here is that I think you can only get so good training that way and that you have to eventually 
you have to eventually either you just keep doing it. Right. And in my experience, what happened to me was I got bored because I was just like, Oh yeah, right. you know, this is, this, I've done yep. like, you know, I've done like 300 bung chuans today and, and each, you know, I'm trying to develop and I'm trying to, uh, uh, I'm trying to develop the pointers that maybe my teacher gave me, but I'm doing it at such a high volume that my body gets tired before I can actually get to the point where I'm integrating the information that maybe he's given me. Mm. And if I, when I started to slow down that practice, it really, really helped me turn the corner. I was like, Oh, now, now I'm really paying attention to more connective pieces and it's not as exciting. It gets, it actually gets kind of tedious too in its own way. But um, I noticed that, I did that for a while and then I came back to my quantitative approach and it was super different and I actually got better doing it that way. So to give the bumper sticker phrase, cause I'm pretty good at it. Cause I, yeah, I see a lot of bumper <laughs> stickers today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bus. Um, so, so instead of dialing up the volume, you need to dial in your focus and slow it down on, on, on these, these forms or whatever it is you're working on, or maybe even drills. Yeah, yeah, you know. absolutely with drills too. Yeah, for sure. And I think, yes, I think that's a, that's a great way to summarize what I just said, for sure. Um, one of the things that I've noticed is, I, you know, we're talking about this quality and quantity and other things, as well as the relevancy of where does it go from woo-woo, where does it go from health, where does it go from woo-woo, where does it go from practical application mm-hmm. and these bridges. And also... I guess there's a separation between levels of with a rookie student. Yes. You just need to practice it, but with a higher and more advanced student breaking down things into multiple ways to present the information to a a senior student. Um, And I, I wonder too, if that's where a lot of these side drills come from that we have, not just the Jeep and gongs, uh, but the entry methods that we have, not just the entry methods, but the sticky hand practice that we have, um, not just the sticky hands, but um, the entry method, or, or I think I already said that. But anyway, just just all these different permutations of what Pichuan can be, all these different permutations of what Sun can be, all these different permutations of what Bungchuan can be, and, and those kind of things. I, I just – I wonder – I just, I just, you know, I look back, I was listening to, uh, our buddies over at the Najai Kwan podcast and they were talking a little bit about, you know, these, you know, the kind of the late 1800s, early 1900s, a lot of the same, like high level martial artists were bumping elbows. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, and I sometimes wonder, you know, they were all running in the same circles is, I wonder if they all started with a similar base of, okay, we know five elements. Then we know a little bit of circle walking and how they just tore those concepts apart into training pieces. Not, not, you know, for power method, training pieces for entry, training pieces for weaponry, training pieces, like just all these different permutations. I wonder, you know, I'm just, I'm, this is a speculation almost, but if they all had a similar core concepts of what their forms were. And then from there, the the effectiveness and the usefulness of it came from a, a rise of, okay, I was sparring with this guy and I couldn't touch him because of X, Y, and Z. 
well, instead of, you know, make something out of thin air, why don't I go back to the drawing board with what I know and tear it apart and look at it in a different way? Why don't, why don't I try to, to find a different way to use something that I already know mm-hmm. as far as a problem solving skill? Because I, I think too often practicality is divorced uh, from, from the look of the Chinese martial arts. And I, I just, I just, I don't understand that. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't see China as a culture being like, at least when these martial arts were developed for martial arts and protection, I don't see it being unpractical. Yeah. I, you know, I think, uh, and you know, we've touched on this before for sure, but as I, that, the, the change point, um, you know, really around, you know, the early 1900s, and the physical culture movement in China and, um, and the advent of guns um, for the people who maybe were out there doing bodyguard work and really more using this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I, I think that a lot of times what begins to happen is we conflate a health practice with a martial practice. Now, you know, I, I think that once again, this is sort of a subjective uh, place because some people's, you know, some people's Nagong, some people's uh, Qigong training, some people's, uh, um, you know, meditation practice is very advanced. And they're going to say, they're going to say, yeah, my meditation practice for sure helps me fighting. And I probably does. And, you know, they're going to say my, my iron shirt training for sure helps me when I'm fighting, you know? And so once again, this kind of goes back to the placebo effect It's like, okay, well, how much of that is really, you know, you just believing that your iron shirt training makes you invulnerable or less likely to become damaged. And how much of that really is, you know, being able to, to fight and to, take those sort of blows and not take the damage. Sure. It may, it could be, yeah, it's go hard, ahead. It's, no, no, no. I was just going to say, it's, it's just, it's, it's, I think it's very difficult to tell. And so sure. therefore, therefore that, you know, these stories become born about, you know, the iron, that was like, uh, uh, I think it was a Taiping rebellion, you know, uh, at the end of the Ming dynasty in like 1700, right after the, the uh, Qing dynasty had took over, and whatever it was, 1644. So this is probably around 1700, early 1700s. That you know, but I think that's when like the White Lotus cult was around. I think that there was a lot of charismatic qi, qi kong, uh type uh, uh, cults. Essentially, uh, they were they were all about trying to overthrow the government, and they would teach you know esoteric practices around you know iron shirt and invulnerability and those sorts of things. And when you know, they would go and they would fight and they would, maybe they would fight against the government. Uh, the, the practitioners would die. And the excuse was is that, oh, well, they, they just, they weren't good enough. Their, 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 their iron shirt wasn't their good belief, enough for their, their, belief, their belief, their faith wasn't good enough. Exactly. So. <laughs> I, I think some of the problem too is we're such a culture of tangibility. And so we're also looking for the end result and I don't know. 
I, I, I guess some of the placebo effect has to be a part of it, but I'm always looking for something that's based in, in the solid world. I got very lucky. I'm, I think I'm losing you again. Uh, well, there you in, go. Oh. In the main state in 1998 and it ran for, are you losing me? How about now? Here, yeah, right. that's better. So, so I got I got pretty lucky. Yeah, you're freezing just a little bit. Okay, so I got really lucky. You know, almost a, 25 years ago, walking into Mesa State. Oh, there he goes. No, I'm good. So, oh, are you? Ah, yeah. Okay, but yeah, just at the foundations of the Wing Chun Club, and it was very practical and it was very usable. It was very tangible. You know, if you got the pox out right, you could hear it and you could feel it. And so there was that biofeedback and you knew if it, mm-hmm. it, you knew if it worked or not, it, it was solid ground stuff. And then, you know, like I said, I've had three different Bagua teachers and I think a lot of the Bagua not sticking with me originally is I didn't have the body intelligence yet. Um, I had done some Pac May, which I really enjoyed. Um, but the way that you teach Xingyi, it's much richer and deeper in a body practice and a strength development method than anything I'd ever done before. And doing that for close to a decade also, before I started uh, training the Bagua with you, I, I felt it didn't make the Bagua easy, but it made it more approachable. And, and mm-hmm. so, and so, I guess what I'm saying is for me as a student to hand somebody money, I'm, I'm very Western based in my, my thinking. It sure. not only, not only does it have to, you know, at least with, with your works, um, have some martial validity, you know, I'm not looking to be a street fighter, you know, um, I'm not looking to become the best knife fighter in the world doing Xing or Bagua, you know, um, but I, I do feel martially capable to defend myself with your works as well as the Wing Chun. Now I supplement that with, you know, modern martial arts practice and knife disarms and things like that. I, I don't think one system has everything for anybody. Um, I, I, that, that, that could be a Western mindset also, mm. but I also feel like at least now, especially with the Xingyi and the Bagua, or even if I did go to another school and try to do Tai Chi, then it would have to help me on a physical scale also. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can move much better and more dynamically now in my 40s than I ever could in my 20s and 30s. And that's because of the Xingyi and the Bagua. Now, I don't have my superhero stamina, uh, <laughs> you know, something I joke around on a lot of podcasts about this, something I could do for four and a half hours. It's going to be three and a half hours with two uh, unionized 15 minute breaks. <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is, but uh, the, the breaks are coming in there. But uh, I just, uh, I need something that's based in the real world. Mm-hmm. And, and do I believe that the Shingi and the Bagua has physically helped and healed me? Well, I can move better now again. And, and, and I am the scale for that. I wind up being, I wind up being the judge, right? I wind up being the scale for that to say that I can move better now than I ever could. Yeah. 
uh, I am more flexible now, but also being strong through those ranges of motion and not just flexible for flexibility's sake. Sure. Um, that, that is a tangible, usable skill. And so I realize and I can feel and I can see the results of it. Um, as a matter of fact, I had somebody talking to me the other day and like, looks like you're walking better these days or standing taller. And I'm like, yeah. And, and, and I didn't say what it was, but I'm like, I can probably put a pin on two or three different things. Um, some of it is the odd weightlifting styles that I do, the kettlebells, the Indian clubs, the mace, things like that. But I'll, I'll tip, tip the hat a little bit to the Bagua because that's been in the last 10 months, the big change in my life. Mm-hmm. And that, that seems to be my, my sliding scale of what's different, what's different now, you know, and I, I'll tell you, you know, Wing Chun, especially the first form is a very, you're trying to isolate, like as a rookie, you're trying to isolate one concept. And then as you get better and better, you're isolating eight or nine concepts and juggling them all at once. Sure. And the Bagua is so rich and so advanced that when I go from something like circle walking to something like Sunam Tao, it makes it so much easier to grasp those concepts and juggle them all at once. Mm, And so, and (laughs) so, and so, and so it's, it's less of a juggling practice and more of, I can see all of it at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I try to explain that to people like as I'm driving the bus, it's like, okay, you're looking in the distance and now you're looking at what's, you know, in your line of sight. And now you're looking at what's directly ahead of you. I can look at all of that at the exact same time and read all of that information simultaneous. Yeah, sure. Sure. Because I have been taught protocols on how to look at things as a professional driver. Mm -hmm. And you've done it. Uh, a million times. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, I wonder if that's some of the things that get lacking too in the health-based Qigong practices and in the health-based, you know, or, or the martial-based martial arts practices is people are, are just in the repetition mode and they're not in the, how do I advance this? How do I get better at this uh, mode? How, you know? Right. Yeah. It's like I was saying, it's like, it's like, it's quantity. It's just like, oh yeah, just do this for the next like five years. Do it a jillion times. I'll give <laughs> you some pointers on maybe how to make it better. But yeah, I mean, and in my experience, you know, like really good, well-organized systems have uh, benchmarks. They're like, okay, you're going to start here. Oh, there you go. In a six months, you should expect this. In a year, you should expect this. In three years, you should be here. You know, in five years, you should be here. That's, you know, it's just like, yeah, here's some benchmarks, you know. This is, and and it's a, it varies a little bit, my experience, because everybody's baseline is a little different when you start. Sure. So, and I think you and I had discussed this before, but people, all, all people start in a kind of a different place, you know, and it depends on age and it depends on your background. It depends on what you do for a living. You know, do you sit? Do you work at a computer? You know, do you, are you, are you a waitress? Are um, you 200 pounds overweight? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there, there, you have to, at least in the beginning, in my, my experience, you have to address those things and then you have to say, okay, so maybe 
maybe circle walking and maybe if somebody's super heavy, maybe circle walking and twisting the knees isn't like the best place to start. So maybe, sure. maybe it's a little bit better for him to start on like maybe straight line, you know, or maybe have him walk a big circle, you know, so then there's less turning and twisting. Maybe it's better to, you know, and this kind of goes back to what, you know, you, we had discussed before, which was, I believe that it, strongly that the gongs and the gongs of all the different types inside of these systems, uh, they're really, they're really well done but you can optimize them for, you know, basic, intermediate and advanced students. So you can take the same gong and I can teach it to a beginner and I'm going to teach it in a certain way. I'm going to emphasize certain things depending on what that person needs. And that's where that prescriptive method comes in. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Precisely, precisely. And then, you know, over time it's like, okay, well here, you look like you've done a good job. You put in some time on that your body's developed. So now, you know, maybe in the beginning, it was a strength thing. Maybe it, they need quantity, you know, maybe that's a, that's the prescription to, to help bring them along in a faster way. Mm. You know, maybe, maybe they need to, maybe their, maybe their nervous system's really kind of jacked up. Maybe they need to slow down. Maybe they need to be really deliberate, which is generally more the case. Uh, I think, um, so yeah. You know, those are just, that's just kind of an example of, of how I would begin to sort of take that approach. Um, but I don't think I've ever started anybody off uh, about chi development. Mm. <laughs> I never said, wow, you really need to develop your chi first. You know? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> you need to develop a body and a mind that is aware of what that body is doing. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Well said. Are we good? No, I think that's good, man. All right. Well, I hate to tell you, but you got a lot of dissecting on this one to do. 